Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Like sands through the hourglass, these are the pipes and tobaccos of our lives. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on uh, late on uh, the on Halloween night. Yeah, late on Halloween night because uh, tomorrow morning I am off to Vegas for the West Coast Pipe Show. As you are listening to this, or this is being downloaded across the world, uh, we're spending our last full day in Vegas, and then we fly home on Wednesday after uh, spending a couple days running around and after the pipe show. So uh, nothing pipe show related on this episode because I don't know what's happened yet. But on tonight's show, we do have a pipe parts with uh, Jeff Grasick. And then my guest is a repeat visit with Dan Locklear, a musician, composer, professor. I know you've heard his music before, but we get caught up. We talk a little bit more in depth about uh, about some other things besides uh, pipes and tobaccos. Anyway, uh, all that uh, music, and I'm going to skip the mailbag because, uh, you know, not much mail in the last two days. Uh, but I do have a rant coming up, a fresh rant. Freshly minted rant. Yeah, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, do remember, please, please share the Pipes Magazine radio show on Facebook. Share it on Twitter, Instagram, all those places where you got to hash brown or hashtag or a, or a twatter or tweeter or whatever you got to do with it. Share it out there. Let everybody know that you're enjoying it and let everybody know where to listen to this fine podcast. All right, we're going to jump ahead and get the show going because we got a bunch of stuff to get through. But we do also have a brand new advertiser coming up right now in this break. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. This is Kevin Godby from PipesMagazine.com with some good news. Our favorite Dunhill tobaccos, early morning pipe and nightcap are two of my favorites, are now back under the Peterson brand name. These are not match blends where another maker tried to reverse engineer their blend to make something that's close to the original. These are the exact recipes and tobaccos being made in the same factory, STG in Denmark, where they've been making the Dunhill tobaccos for almost 10 years. They had about a year and a half, two year hiatus, and now they're back, still being made the same way, but now under the Peterson name. Check with your favorite retail tobacconist for early morning pipe, nightcap, royal yacht, mixture 965, Elizabethan mixture, deluxe navy rolls, flake, dark flake, and standard mixture, now under the Peterson name. Yep, still good. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us for Ask the Pipe Maker is Jeff Grasick. Jeff, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, so you're not playing baseball anymore, not like Joe DiMaggio. No, uh, no, no, I okay. quit. Okay, good. All right, this question comes from another uh, another very noted uh, pipe collector, and it's uh, Rich Esserman. <laughs> so, uh-huh. 
So the guy's only seen, you know, a hundred thousand or 200,000 pipes and right. Right. And his question is relatively simple, but I think it's relatively convoluted too. So here you go. Okay. The interior tobacco chamber that is U shaped while others are V shaped is one better than the other. Boom. Is one better than the other. Yeah. And, okay. and I think I know, uh, you know, I, you know, from, from me as a tobacco person and as a pipe mm -hmm. and primarily as a pipe smoker, I really don't have a, you know, I know I like pipes. I know what I like, right. I, you know, and I, I've gotten pretty good at figuring out which ones are going to smoke well for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you're, when I'm smoking a more, a, a rounded bottom bowl versus a veed bottom bowl, mm -hmm. the veed bottom tends to stay drier, but at the same time, it seems like the, you know, first of all, the bottom of the bowl starts going out faster and faster because you're getting sm less and less tobacco down there. Right. And it has a chance to get more, more harsh. Yeah. With the U-shaped bottom of the bowl, you've got an even level, you know, you've got more even layers of tobacco all the way down, but you got to be careful because it starts to get muddy down there. And, and sometimes it's hard to get all that tobacco down there smoked. So from you as the pipe maker, which one's better? Well, well you know, I... <laughs> I have a, I have a strong opinion on this, but I have a question for you to clarify that. Yeah. So you find you find on a U shape that is harder to smoke down to the bottom uh, because of the the area, right? Yeah, the surface there's area. A, there's a bigger area, and you've got like the the buildup of of ash from your the tobacco you've burned already, correct? Yep, and getting the flame all around down in the bottom yeah. of the bowl and so getting to, to getting it to burn evenly. Yeah, if you look at the if you look at the distance from where the draft hole is to the far side of the bowl. Mm -hmm. You got to work some really bizarre physics to try yeah, to get yeah. that part to burn over there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you, and I I think that um uh you know you're you're onto something there. But to the V shape, you said that um it it seems that you don't have that problem. You're able to burn it all the way down to the bottom. Is that correct? Yeah, because I think when the with, huh. with the okay. v, with the V shape, you got a smaller surface area where the draft hole comes in. Right, right. Well, I mean, so. I think that sounds good in theory. That hasn't been my experience, but um, uh, but I'm not going to argue with yours. Uh, my well, personal well, good, preference you is actually... You, go ahead. Don't argue with me because, man, you're not inside my head. You don't know what's inside my head, man. <laughs> I don't want to know, man. <laughs> oh, no. Trust me. No. No. We so, talked about briar gnomes a while back. <laughs> you dig into right. those crevices, you'll get some really weird gnomes. <laughs> Well, this is the no gnome zone. Yes. Um, so the uh, the U shaped tobacco chamber, and l let me introduce a, a third shape. So you've got the you've got the U shape, which has straight walls, parallel walls, and then it is just a you know half a sphere on the bottom, correct? Yeah. Um, and then you've got the V shape, which comes to a point, and then between those, you've got parabolic. Um, so you've got one that is kind of gently sloping towards the middle, but still has a rounded bottom. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of hijacking, uh, Rich's answer. So it's not binary. We've got this middle ground for me. The parabolic chamber is the best because it gives you, a, you know, the best of both worlds. Um, the U shape. Yeah, it can definitely have that problem, particularly if it is a, like a, a traditional Prince shape that 
sometimes you can find ones that have really, really wide bowls. I've seen like old <laughs> Sheratons that are an inch, uh, you know, an inch and a quarter wide, and they're only three quarters of an inch deep. And I, you know, I've always, it's, I've always thought. How on earth do people smoke these things? It's like smoking a cereal bowl. Well, the first half of the the first half hour of the bowl is just getting the top lit, and then the next yeah. fifteen minutes is actually smoking the tobacco, and then it's out. Yeah, and then it's out, <laughs> and then it's out, and you can't smoke the whole bottom anyway. Um, so I think to you know to a certain point, the U shaped bottom is ideal. Uh, you know, three quarters of an inch across, there'll be less of a problem. Uh, that you've identified, but you get much bigger than that with a U-shaped bottom and you start having issues. And that's where the parabolic wall shape uh, will come in, where you'll have the the rounded, the surface area of the bottom, like the bottom quarter inch of the of the pipe will have a, have similar dimensions to the, the, uh, the more narrow um, U-shaped bottoms. Um, and in my thinking and in my experience with it is that having the the broader area on the bottom of a U-shaped or a parabolic-shaped chamber, it allows the moisture that inevitably it occurs when you're smoking a pipe, it, it gives you a broader surface for that moisture to collect. Whereas with a V-shaped pipe, and I, I'm curious to hear what you might, what your experience has been with this, with a V-shaped chamber, the moisture that occurs goes to that single point from which it is easily drawn right up into the draft hole. Has that been your experience? Do you find V-shaped smokes wetter than a, than a U-shaped? No, because I use a pipe cleaner while I'm smoking. So the v Ah, but if you weren't using a pipe cleaner. Well, if I weren't using a pipe cleaner, I wouldn't be smoking because I can't because I'm a slobbering oh, okay. wet fool. So. Oh, got it. See, I don't like using pipe cleaners when I smoke. And they're, so for me... Um, I find the U and the, the parabolic shape better because I don't need to use a pipe cleaner typically when I'm smoking them. But if you're using a pipe cleaner, like if you're, you know, you're, you have an especially drooly mouth and you have to carry a handkerchief, uh, all the time, yep. um, then I can see, you know, that the V shape might perform in a way, at least that you like better. I, but, uh, I, I'm such yeah, a I'm using a pipe cleaner all the time. Uh, you know, a, a, a V shape will smoke wetter than a pipe or than a, than a U-shaped chamber. I'm such a slobbering wet smoker that there's been times when I've gotten in one of those magic smokes where I'm just sitting there puffing away and I kind of zone out, and the way I get out mm. of it is the drool starts coming down my face. <laughs> All right. Yeah. There's some details we wanted. Yeah, there's a picture that only a mother <laughs> would love. That's right. Uh, <laughs> file that away with the gnomes. Yeah. Now, are there, but there are pipe shapes in particular where you have to use a V shape. I mean, you can't do, if you're doing a Dublin yeah. correctly or doing a bulldog correctly, Yeah, you know, you're dealing with, you're, you're dealing with actual physical space and you're stuck with it. Right. Right. And that's why, you know, for me, at least you, there are certain shapes I won't make because you have to use a V shaped chamber and I never use a V shaped chamber. Uh, meaning, by that I mean a V-shaped chamber that comes to a point on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. I have yeah. I have V-shaped bits that have a rounded bottom on them that are at least, um, gosh, at least a half an inch wide on the bottom, if not uh, wider than that. Yeah. So you know, effectively, you're going to, you're going to be able to have the the tapered walls like you would for a V-shape, but you'll have the advantage of of uh, the more surface area on the bottom to collect moisture. And then when you're making those shapes, I guess you have to be aware of where the tobacco chamber is placed in the bowl 
and yeah. make sure that you don't have too much wood weight on the bottom of the bowl and then the because otherwise the pipe won't hang right 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 yeah i mean it's pipe making is just a balance of all these different factors and you know sometimes i'll get a custom order from a good customer who will request a shape that isn't uh, and uh, and dimensions that are not uh, or the, the drilling dimensions that are not necessarily what i would typically do and i have to always up um, offer caveats on those like well this isn't going to smoke like what you typically buy from me because of this this and this yeah and uh you know as long as people understand that um then if it's a, a collector with with whom i've worked many times then you know i'll make the pipe for them but i don't always make those kind of compromises because you know that person if it's their first exposure to my work and i don't think it's going to smoke well um i don't want them to take away from that experience that i don't know how to make pipes yeah, and I'm not sure if we answered the question, but all I can tell you is that in, in regards to... You know, is one better than the other? In yeah. my opinion, yes, U-shaped is better than V. There you go. There's Jeff's opinion, and Jeff, you are the leading expert on your own opinion. Uh, absolutely. Congratulations. You've been promoted. Hey, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jeff, thanks for coming back and doing that. And uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D, as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell & Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and going back to uh, going back to another one of my guests from the first uh, 10 episodes of the show. I think maybe like f show five or six or something like that. Uh, but is uh, my guest is a name that is familiar to all of you uh, because Dan Locklear's music has been played on the show, I think, more than any other single artist. So... Uh, Pipe smoker, composer, musician, professor of music, um, Dan Locklear, welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you so much, Brian. It is an honor to be here, and I well remember our first taping. Yeah, that was that one. I actually came up to your house and we recorded it right there. And uh, do you call that your your studio? Because it. You had more musical instruments in there than a uh, than an orchestra has. Yes, that's my studio, and our dog greeted you, and uh, it was a lovely evening that we had. But I think it was probably unique to your show because uh, most of the interviews that you did thereafter were uh, over the telephone. Yeah, I think actually you and uh, Jimmy Craig from Ashton Pipes and then uh, a handful of the Japanese pipe makers because we needed uh, translators there. So I think it's maybe been five or six that I've done in person on location. So 
Um, I, I much rather prefer this sound quality. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I want to congratulate you on uh, what you've done with the show. I mean, during those days and when we talked about it, uh, as you were planning on doing it, you, you weren't yourself sure how long the show would go, and you've just <laughs> celebrated a big anniversary, and uh, it's such an important show for uh, the pipe collecting community, it really does bring together a large coterie. I always have loved that term coterie anyway, since Tom Dunn used it with his uh, magazine. But you, you just really do an enormous amount to uh, support this hobby and uh, know how much you're appreciated. Well, thank you. I uh, Honestly, in the beginning, I didn't know how long it could last because I didn't know if it was going to last. And I never would have thought it would go this long and i never thought that there would be people like you that would listen to every episode so um i owe you a big thank you because i've probably uh hurt your ears a couple of times over the years <laughs> well i certainly thank you too for uh, your belief in my music and uh for the broadcast that you've given it over the years with the show and uh hope your listeners have enjoyed it as well you certainly have a eclectic musical taste yourself and uh you serve an audience that has a, an eclectic musical taste but uh, uh for what i do within the classical tradition i'm most grateful to you so so my son thought i was really cool when i knew jody davis and my daughter thought i was really cool when we went to davidson college with you and your wife to watch them perform one of your pieces <laughs> yeah that was that was a neat evening and uh, then of course you came up for the uh, you and dale came up for the world premiere of uh, symphony number no. two america too and uh, so that was a really wonderful evening, and uh, we're glad to have you a part of it and my uh, if you remember way back my daughter and uh my daughter and my wife's grandmother we came up to see a performance of your stuff in salisbury once oh that's right the salisbury symphony did one i'd, I'd forgotten that but yes you did so you're a you're a devotee <laughs> <laughs> and uh living in the same state uh you wouldn't think we had to go to richmond to see each other would you yeah, so so the Grateful Dead has deadheads, so does that make me a Danhead? <laughs> if you say so, Brian. Okay. All right, yeah, so we so we we saw each other recently at the uh Richmond Core, the Conclave of Richmond Pipe Smokers show at the Sutliff Factory, and I just wanted uh before we get into the other stuff, I just wanted your thoughts and what you know what you thought of the show and was that your first time getting into a uh, into a tobacco factory for a tour like that? For that particular factory, uh, I've had the good fortune when Craig Tarler and Patty were dear friends. I was up to their uh, place uh, uh, several times. And when I first moved to Winston-Salem to join the faculty of Wake Forest University, Sir Walter Raleigh pipe tobacco was made in downtown Winston-Salem. So I called down there one day and I told the guy who answered, I said, you know, I'm a pipe smoker and I'd love to see how you make Sir Walter Raleigh. He said, well, just come on down. So I did. And it was a vintage factory as well. The one thing that I remember so well about the Sir Walter Raleigh factory, though, is that they used shovels to actually get the tobacco off of the floor and <laughs> start packing it. Um, so uh, it was the first time I had been to the Sutliff um, factory, and I believe it was done last year, wasn't it? The, the show wasn't held there at Sutliff, but I believe that was the first time that it had been done. But 
I thought it was a, just an excellent show. Um, I would have trouble getting to pipe shows just because of my schedule as a composer and as a full-time professor of music and obligations I have with the university. But I always try to make the uh, Raleigh show each year, even though this past year I had to miss it. And I used to get to the Richmond show about every other year. And um, this year I had this one on my calendar very early on because I'd hoped to get there last year and uh, a university event came up. But I thought it was just an excellent uh, partnership between the core group, which is just such a wonderful group of individuals, and that factory. And the weather couldn't have been better. You know, it was just perfect yeah. being out outdoors. And I just found the tour to be fascinating, just to go and to see the old world machinery and the old world processes and uh, just to simply uh, be a part of that was a, a real treat. Was there something about the factory that kind of surprised you or caught you off guard or you, know, you found amusing? I wouldn't say amusing. I, I just think that I, I like vintage equipment and I like vintage processes. I think a lot of pipe smokers do that. I think that's why we appreciate uh, what we do. And I happen to also be a performer as an organist, uh, and pipe organs are made in the same age-old way in which they always have been, using leather, using wood. And a tobacco factory is much the same way, at least the one we saw there with, uh, with Sutliff. And you just get the impression that uh, not much has changed in the way <laughs> in which they do things. And uh, I, I just was really um, very um, delighted to be a part of that tour and find the access that the Sutliff people allowed us to do to be so open because we could walk around and smell the bins where the oriental leaf was or whatever leaf that it was. And uh, it was just um, a real throwback in time, but uh, magical, I thought. Yeah, you've been a pipe smoker for... Um you know, several decades now. We won't mention how many. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so was this kind of the first, was this really the first time where you got to see the different types of tobaccos set apart from each other and see what they look like and see what they smell like separately? Well, uh, Craig uh, had a, a, a lot of leaf that he blended in, and I certainly saw it at his place. Um, uh, not so much so with the Sir Walter Raleigh tour that I did. Uh, uh, but yes, it would have been where, uh, you know, to just find these big bales in a, a um, cart, uh, you know, that was certainly the first time that I had seen that much uh, tobacco of one particular varietal. And um, so, yeah, I would say that would, that would be the case in the quantity that I saw it. And then with the uh, with the tables and the exhibitors, did you uh, <laughs> did you find anything that you couldn't go home without, or find any new pipe makers that kind of excited you? Yeah, actually, um, it was. There's so many friends in that uh, field. You know, you go to a pipe show to see people that you don't see once a year or once every year, and uh, and I certainly spent a lot of time talking to people. But actually, one of the first tables that I stopped. At was really um, quite exciting to me because I've been a fan of IMT Meerschaum pipes since I first was introduced to them and, and heard of them um, because of the way in which the uh, tenon is done. 
And um, I actually love Mearsham, uh, even though I'm a collector largely of, of Costello and Julius Bez's pipes. Um, I still love Mearsham because I find that I can smoke uh, tobaccos that are a bit stronger than I would normally smoke and do it in a Mearsham, and they it kind of mellows it out. So one of the first tables that I got a glimpse of along the wall were actually multiple tables for IMP and uh, met Barack uh, Servi, who is the uh, son of the IMP founder, as I remember, and just a slew of IMP pipes and uh, had a conversation with him over the return of the brand. I guess they've had some distribution problems in the U.S., and uh, and of course, there's always political kinds of things that can influence uh, sh- shipping of the pipes in. But he's very much up and running, and I found two of his pipes that I really liked. Uh, as we've talked before, I tend to buy pipes based on lightweightness because uh, I keep a pipe in my mouth when I'm composing, and I don't sit around, you know, holding it. So. It has to be a lightweight piece, and over the years, I've more or less gravitated too to pipes that are um, bent pipes, not full bents necessarily, but at least with some bent. And um, I just find the IMP are very well made, and um, so that was the first treat that I found in the uh, the main exhibit area there, and it was also a treat to to, to meet him and uh, to tell him of my appreciation for what he does any uh any super deals on stuff or uh well you've got more pipes and tobaccos than you probably know what to do with but um any any, anything jump out at you well there were a lot of things that i admired and just as you say uh, when you have a lot of pipes uh and a lot of pipes where you pretty much over the years discern the kind of things that you look for in a pipe and that you enjoy and then the other side of that too of things that haven't quite worked for you um, you can look and admire a particular pipe and not come home with it uh, I know on the smokingpipes.com uh, table there was a, some beautiful pipes there was a gorgeous Tom L. Tang that was a, kind of a beard with um, bamboo on it it was very very lightweight and, uh, you know, there's certain pipes that I saw that I very much remembered. Some makers, who I must even say that I don't even remember their names, um, but I just admired their pipes. So I think that's the, the wonderful thing about a pipe show. You're not, you're not under any pressure to buy anything, but if you see something that does uh, kind of ring your bells and just speaks to you, well, you can pick it up and you can hold it and you can talk to whoever the maker if it's the maker or the seller and you just have that whole experience at a pipe show and that's something kind of unique to just being in the midst of all that flourish of pipes we're going to take a break right here when we come back we'll talk more with dan about the pipe show and about music because we can't let you go without that and then uh, maybe some uh, tea talks so stay with us we'll be back in just a minute a savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations 
For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with my friend Dan Locklear. You've got more titles than I think the Queen of England does. Uh, oh, I'm not sure about that, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> You're very kind. Well, as the official, uh, as the official uh, Dan Head uh, groupie, uh, I'm going to become the president of the Dan Heads. Um <laughs> So when you when you go to a pipe show, do you have a plan of how you're going to navigate it? Uh, do you buy stuff right away when you see what you like, or do you go around the whole table, the whole show once, and then go back to stuff? I usually just walk around the entire place and just simply get the lay of the land, and then tend to come back to places where I've seen something that I would like to. Um, uh, to kind of ponder on. Uh, this one was unusual in that when I entered into this show, it was in that room where you were, where you were based with your microphone, and it was the indoor room. And the first sight that I saw was that IMP set of tables. So I immediately went over to, to that because it's been a product that I have enjoyed. And I think that's often the case, isn't it, with all of us, that if we've had really positive experience with a certain brand uh will be gravitating to that uh brand if there's yeah. someone there that's carrying it and um so i tend to walk around and it's also an excuse to just get to see a lot of people that you don't see normally and to make sure that you see them before you have to leave and uh then going back to uh the places where you uh, you came i enjoyed seeing the Sutliff table itself uh, because Sutliff is such a, a diversified uh, unit in the sense that they, uh, you know, as, as you well know, I mean, they're part of McBaron. So you see all the products that McBaron does and all of the products that Sutliff itself does. And they had that uh, goodie bag for us, which even can, contains some chewing gum that Sutliff <laughs> is doing. So, I mean, they, they have really seen to it that they are dedicated to the pipe smoker. And, uh, uh, that Ann Dinkins, uh, who is such a fine correspondent when we were setting up the tour, is so sweet. And I, I dropped her a note. I, I think it's it's always wise when people have gone so out of their way to do something like this, both the people with the show, to uh, express gratitude to them for doing it because uh, these things take a lot of time. And uh, it's a, a dedication on the part of both in this case, the Sutliff people and uh, the, the core group. And uh, that group, of course, has had a long history of producing really outstanding pipe shows, and uh, they certainly did it this year. They did put on one heck of a show. Uh, I, I'm already I'm ready for next year. I can't wait. There, there are really very few places in America, and I think even few might be a 
too big a word, where a person can go and look at pipes as a pipe show and actually tour a real pipe tobacco factory. Yeah. There's certainly others in, in America, I know, you know, that, that manufacture tobacco, but uh, here you have Sutliff, which is in a large city of, of Richmond and a historic city for tobacco. And to be able to go and visit with a factory like that and to see uh, pipe tobacco being produced. You know, I, when I was in college, during the time that I was uh, actually probably in high school and starting to experiment with tobaccos and find out what uh, I really enjoyed, uh, I smoked number 79. So let, let's talk about your, your music, because I don't think a lot of people may understand what it means that you're a commissioned composer. Uh, so how does that work? Does a, a, an organization comes to you and says... Uh, we have a uh, we have an event and we want a piece of music for it and this is our budget. Will you do it for us? Yeah, essentially so. Um, a composer is a background. You know, composers from the Baroque period on earned their livelihood in one of three ways: either they were a church musician, or they were a uh, court composer, where you composed the music and then performed it, or you were an opera impresario. Uh, Bach was the first, and, and Handel was the opera impresario, and numerous other composers served courts. In the 20th century, the way in which a composer in the classical vein survives is you are based at a university. Uh, essentially, the university has become the court for composers, because unlike film music, uh, when you're writing in the classical tradition, it doesn't translate into huge monetary returns. So the way in which you, um, if you have, are fortunate to have some success as a composer, and I, I feel very fortunate that since 1982 I've had an unbroken string of commissions since that time. And uh, an organization may come to you and say, just as you just said, we have the opening of new concert hall, or we have someone that we want to honor, or the conductor just is a believer in new music and says, you know, we would like to have an orchestra piece to open a concert. Um, this summer I, I created, uh, I had world premiere of a new flute and harp sonata, which was commissioned by the American Harp Society for their uh, convention, their uh, summer institute, which was actually held here in Winston-Salem at the School of the Arts. And that would have, I would have been contacted almost a year before that and since it was a convention, normally there is a, a need and, and an obligation where they want to bring about new music. So they will go to a composer or composers and uh, say, we'd like to have a new work for this convention, and it will be performed by so-and-so, and, -so, and uh, would you accept it? And you negotiate a price, and then you essentially um, create a letter of, of agreement or contract, depending on how formal the organization wants to be, stating when the piece will be delivered, and then it's delivered to the performers by that date, and then it's uh, given its world premiere. Um, I'm fortunate in that I have an exclusive publishing contract, so everything that I write is published, so when a manuscript is delivered to a performer, for me, it's already engraved and ready to be released after the premiere. 
But it's a relatively simple process, the commissioning of music, and it's how new art is brought about, because unless organizations or individuals have an interest in bringing about new art, and here I'm speaking of music, then nothing from our own time will be left as a, a memory of it. And hopefully, in the classical tradition, you're creating music that will long outlast you. Yeah, and I would imagine working for a university as a composer is a lot nicer than working for the courts, because oftentimes the court composer might have you know, been executed or you know, banished or uh, <laughs> fell out of favor. Or died of stress, because yeah. so many of the court composers, Haydn was that. Uh, we visited Esterhazy just uh, two summers ago, and Esterhazy, which is in between Austria and, and uh and uh, we're really near Vienna and Bratislava. And uh, Haydn, you know, was really the staff composer for the Esterhazys. And whenever there was a banquet that was coming up, he would have been asked to, to do that. Handel worked for in England uh, and, and for the king. And when the king wanted to have his big barge go up and down the River Thames, he commissioned Handel to do uh, the water music suite. Yeah. So you were under a lot of pressure, and not only did you create the music during that time, but you also uh, had to oversee the performance of it. Now, Bach, uh, J.S. Bach, of course, had he was largely a, a church, a composed in uh, the role of a church music composer, even though he had one uh, period of his life, one major period, where he was in a court. But uh, J.S. Bach... I don't know how the man survived, because one, there was no electricity during that time. Uh, Bach was a fabulous composer, but of course he was looking on it as a purely utilitarian thing. And he um, had uh, you know, one wife, she died, he had 20 children, and throughout all of that, not only was he composing music for every Sunday for the worship services, which went on sometimes three hours, and overseeing music for three different churches. But um, Bach also was teaching Latin in the schools. He was teaching the choir. He was also uh, preparing the music for Sundays. And the poor man, for 20 <laughs> children, he, at the time of his death in 1750, only nine of them were surviving. And so he must have been in constant grief and yet he was enormously prolific, and he also smoked a pipe during it all. <laughs> that's but, that's but probably the, the what university. held them together, was the pipe. <laughs> it probably is. I don't doubt it. But uh, the university, I, I should say that what I do uh, as a university, my, my title at Wake Forest is a double title. I'm, I'm composer in residence and professor of music, but I'm a fully tenured professor. Uh, I never have composed a note on campus because all of my composition work is done in the quiet and privacy of my studio at home. And uh, when I'm at university, I'm teaching, and I teach back-to-back -back classes. And so I'm a very active teacher, and, and what I do as a composer, of course, influences how I teach, and I teach all the, uh, the composition students and all the upper-level theory students, as well as a non-major course. But um, the, just because you're at a university as a composer doesn't mean that you're actually composing on campus and that it's just that that is the reason that you are there. And I've had a wonderful relationship with uh, Wake Forest for many years now, and it still continues. 
And then you also, jumping around a little bit, uh, you're also an advocate of uh, cruise traveling, and you've written some wonderful uh, travel reports that you write for the uh, NASPC's Pipe Collector. Uh, real quickly, because I also want to talk about tea, but do you have any uh, any suggestions or uh, any advice for people that are going on cruises or maybe going to Europe and traveling with their pipes and tobaccos? Well, I think the first thing is to reassure people that cruises are um, really a wonderful way of seeing a lot of the world. And you, of course, have to choose very carefully, as you well know, uh, what cruise ship you go, what particular route that you go. Um, but for Paula and me, our cruise experience actually started with a, a river cruise, which uh, we did, I think it's maybe 2008 now. Um, and it was um, really one from uh, Amsterdam all the way to Vienna. And it opened up a horizon for us to realize that cruising was a way to really learn a great deal. Uh, it was on that cruise that we learned a great deal about German wines, for instance, as well as uh, a number of music venues that uh, we were able to see. And then from there, we launched into ocean cruising. And, of course, there are a lot of very fine cruise companies out there, which you know so well, yeah. and uh, you've had your share of cruises as well. Um, our choice, our first choice had been Silver Sea. Um, Silver Sea is uh, a cruise ship that, uh, a cruise company that's first owned by an Italian man who happens to be a smoker. <laughs> uh, his favorite room on all of his ships is the uh, humidor room, which uh, it's called sometimes connoisseur corner and that sort of thing. But he made sure that smokers were well accommodated both inside and outside. And uh, that was one of the things that really drew us to Silver Sea. The other thing, it's one of the inclusive kind of tours. And the other thing about Silver Sea that had drawn us to it was uh, simply because the ships are smaller. And you can actually feel very uh, much privacy uh, when, you're, when you're there. And you have your own butler and you have an assistant butler, too. And it's kind of a way of relaxing. You know, as a composer, I have to confess that I really have trouble taking vacations. I tend <laughs> to work all the time. I teach a full load at Wake Forest. And I, um, I compose uh, I have, with commission deadlines. I'm always at work because I figured out a long time ago that uh, – if I leave a manuscript on my desk, uh, when I come back, it's exactly the same way that I left it, that no one has come and filled in the blanks and finished it for me. And then I, I conduct uh, certain concerts of my music and perform as well. So I, I tend to have a lot going on, and a vacation for me doesn't tend to last more than a maximum absolute maximum is two weeks and that's usually too long 10 days is about right so for paula and me we uh find that going on a cruise is a way of total relaxation because one you have all of your you know, luggage and everything in the same place 
And since I have to eat gluten-free, all of my meals are, are taken care of, and I don't have that worry either. So it's for has become for us a, a wonderful way to vacation. And furthermore, you can explore, uh, as I have, uh, a lot of the pipe community around the world. And we've come upon some uh, really wonderful finds, uh, and it's just a, a terrific way to just go and get to know a lot of cities and get to know a lot of people. And uh, fortunately, then the uh, pipe collector has uh, has been uh, very gracious about publishing my scribblings. Um, <laughs> I, I love that magazine. You know, I, I I think, and I know you've encouraged so many of the pipe community to get behind publications. I happen to be a lover of all books, pipes, and I tend to buy any of the new books on pipes and tobacco that come out. And I just wish that people would would really gravitate more to some of these publications because not only do you learn a great deal, but it also brings together the pipe community. And it gives resources to support the people who actually do them. So um, when I write those articles, those uh, travel articles of uh, traveling in the footsteps of, of Bach or, or Sherlock Holmes or whatever they are, they're a way of celebrating not only uh, being out and about in the world and learning and being excited about being alive, but also it's a way of helping to support the pipe community too and uh, share some of my finds with others. And it's also a way to kind of unplug when you know when the when the pipe collector comes in the mail to me it's a chance for me to just completely unplug from all electronics sit down with my pipe and start reading the thoughts and ramblings of of other people uh it's kind of a mini vacation and a little bit of a pipe club for me all at the same time it is, and in the privacy of your own home. As a matter of fact, uh, for virtually every cruise that we have taken, if a Pipes and Tobacco magazine comes, say, within six weeks before a cruise or the pipe collector does, I tend to just put it right on the bed to pack it because I take it with it. It's a portable thing to take on airplanes and then to enjoy uh, when I'm in the humidor of the ship. And it's just a, a, a terrific way to connect. And I must say that so many people have written me kind of notes over the years that have corresponded to people who I would have never met and have still never met in person who will write about something that, uh, that, that I've written. And it just simply links us all together. So I just can't encourage people enough to really uh, become involved with just subscribing. Even if you don't, <laughs> I hope you do read it, but even if you don't read it, just to simply support what, uh, what we're all about. And I used that term earlier on, coterie. Tom Dunn, who I became such a good friend with, and his, his labor of love of doing that uh, wonderful uh, ephemeris, but that word coterie was so beautifully chosen because the pipe community is really a coterie. You know, you can get to know people who are in different fields, totally foreign from your own field, and become very close friends. This latest uh, uh, the, the pipe collector before this current issue, uh, I wrote of our travels uh, just this past summer, and uh, Norman Baldwin. Uh, I wrote about, and Norman and I had met on our very first uh, Silver Sea cruise, 
and Norman had never smoked anything but a Peterson pipe. And uh, he got them because he was raised in England. He now is an uh, industrious living in, in Australia. <clears throat> but his mother's store happened to carry Peterson pipes, and he could get them very inexpensively <clears throat> through her store. And um, so as we were on the ship, Norman uh, found out about a lot of other pipes, and uh, he uh, became also, as a result of that, an avid customer of smokingpipes.com and still is. Um, and we just became very good friends, and we communicate every week in one way or another and talk by phone periodically as well. And it all started with a pipe, and it all started on a cruise. So... Um, I have a lot of fondness for both. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan, instead of wrapping this up with the fast five final questions, because we, your, your fast five probably hasn't changed much at all. Right. <laughs> uh, we will, I will ask you this because you helped guide me to find the tea that I like the most and the style of the tea that I like the most. So Instead of a fast five final questions, I'd like your five favorite teas and maybe uh, just a little bit about each one and why you like them. Sure. Um, I am a fan of teas. Paula and I both are, and um, she has to drink gluten-free now. I'm not gluten-free, but uh, caffeine-free, so that gave me an opportunity to explore some other teas, but... Um, currently, I suppose it's about 40 to 45 different teas that I rotate. Um, Monday morning is usually a black tea, and that tea is most often going to be Thai food. It can be the mixture number 49 from Harrods, which you know so well, and uh, which yep. you treated me with a, with a, with a gift from uh, this, uh, at the pipe show. Um, but it's usually a black tea, and um, Thai Fu is a very old factory in England, and I find a parallel with pipe tobacco and with tea, more so than with coffee, because I don't actually drink coffee, but tea, there are a lot of varietals of it, and it's how the leaves are blended that create the, the flavor. And we have to remember, too, that probably Alfred Dunhill would have drunk tea because my dad used to say, he was a part of World War II, that the war essentially stopped in England at tea time while the British <laughs> drank their tea. Tuesday morning for me is usually either a green tea, of which I like the Dilma tea, which uh, comes from Ceylon, and there's a, it's, a, it's a farm, and they actually grow the tea and package the tea, process the tea, and, uh, uh, and, and package it right on the plantation. It's either that or a high mountain oolong. A green tea is an extremely uh, healthy drink. It's how it's processed, of course, and anyone that wants to learn more about teas can just simply Google black tea or green tea, and you'll see these processes. But Saturday, I mean Tuesday, has to do with, with green or a high mountain oolong, and it's a pretty pricey high mountain oolong, and it has a buttery sort of flavor. Um, Wednesday, without a doubt, is an Irish day, and it turns out to be one of the Thompson's teas. 
Thompson's is in Belfast, Northern Ireland, right across from where the Titanic was built. And Paul and I were on a cruise that actually went to Belfast uh, several years ago and toured the Titanic Museum. And first thing that I did was to write the Thompson factory and tell them what a fan we were of the tea and ask if it was possible to tour the factory. Unfortunately, I got a note back that said that we are not able to offer tours. But the Thompson Company, T-H-O-M-S-O-N, is an old firm. And they have a blend by the name of Scottish Blend, which is absolutely delicious. It's a black tea. And then one that is even more potent. It's almost like taking a Virginia tobacco and adding Perique that is called the Titanic Blend, aptly so. But they have a host of other blends as well. And the thing that's incredible about the Thompson Company, and I hope none of this is going to change with Brexit, is that they are extremely inexpensive. And what we get in this country tends to be, as the British call it, sachets, which are really tea bags. Um, But it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. I normally prefer loose tea, and that's what happens on Monday with Thai food. It's it's often loose. But even the sachets, the bags with those, are measured out in such a way that the two of them will give you a very good two cups of tea. Thursday is a day that rotates. Um, Bewley's is an uh, old factory that's in Dublin, and Berry's is also in Dublin, and I like both of their teas. They're both black teas, and the Bewley's tea tends to be quite aromatic in terms of some, but naturally aromatic. I mean, not anything like a vanilla in it or anything. The berries tends to be rather bold, and I like the berries classic, and it's usually an alternation on Thursday of those. And on Friday, it's usually a Taylor's of Harrogate tea, uh, the Yorkshire blend, which is a black tea from England. And then Saturday is from Wales. It's, um, there's a wonderful, it's called Welch Brew, and uh, Welch Brew is a very uh, warm-bodied tea. Some teas, if they're overbrewed, can become bitter. But the Welch tea, if it's brewed, you can leave the bags in there for four hours, and it still <laughs> will maintain its mellowness. And then uh, Sunday is very often a day for Scotland because there is a there is a very well-known uh, factory in. Uh, in Scotland that uh, does tea, but it also turns out to be a rotating day. The uh, the Harrods blend, uh, the Whitherd blends, which is an old uh, English uh, tea shop, and some of my students have brought me, especially my Chinese students, have brought me uh, different uh, different blends from their their country and some very very high end Chinese teas that you can't even get in America. But I have so many different blends. It's like people who, <laughs> you and I, and all of the ones listening to this show, who love to have a lot of tins of pipe tobacco open. And uh, there are certain blends that I uh, just don't tend to drink as often. Uh, there's a, a wonderful one uh, from uh, 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 the Windsor that's called uh, the, the Assam, their Assam tea, which is rumored to be one of the Queen Elizabeth's favorites. And oftentimes on a Sunday, I'll just drink a straight Assam tea. If all of this is gibberish to someone who doesn't know tea, then it just, just enjoy the fact that you can, thanks to the Internet, 
get to know the teeth. You know, it's kind of like classical music and pipe smoking. All three of these things are things that you can enjoy without knowing a whole lot about them. You just simply experience them. But the more you learn about them, the deeper they mean to you. And as you get into teas, you just realize, gosh, I've done the same thing with tobacco. And in terms of classical music, you know, you get deeper in. So that's one of the great joys of living and certainly one of the great uh, joys of uh, uh, learning to enjoy things that are around us, and tea is certainly one of my passions. You helped guide me into now what I have as my uh, my benchmark tea, and I'm uh, trying to, uh, instead of having four cups of coffee a day, I'm trying to make it uh, three cups of coffee and then a, uh, a very big cup of tea, but it, you're right, it is. It's exactly, I feel like I did when I, when I first discovered pipe tobaccos. It's, you know, the, it's the, uh, I, I hate to use an old ABC sports thing, but it's the, uh, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat as you go through and try all these different teas and, uh, and really try them at different temperatures, different, uh, you know, different steeping times and, it, it's really truly customizable as opposed to a cup of coffee where you can either brew it faster, slower, or add sugar. You're right. And um, the Scottish tea that I mentioned, the Brodie's tea, for instance, is, is totally different from that's, – that's a Sunday tea I was hinting at. I don't think I used the word. It's quite different from anything else that you will taste like in Ireland or in England. So you get this variety, and I guess it's somewhat analogous to people, uh, pipe smokers, who like uh, the straight flavor of Virginia or Burley and, and don't really want you know an aromatic sort of thing added to it. And that's fine and good if that's their taste. But uh, for me, I just prefer the straight tea. And it opens up a whole world. And I, I might mention that one of the best places in the country to find teas, because a lot of people are out in places where you can't get them, is a website called teadog.com, just teadog.com. And uh, they have the best uh, selection of overall teas that, that I've seen and very helpful customer service too but there are plenty of other places too to order from uh, all you got to do is go on the web there's a wonderful company up in uh, Michigan called Arbor Teas that uh, does organic teas uh, so it's a whole different world and it's a compatible world with um, with pipes and my first cup of tea in the morning is shared with a, a meerschaum and a bowl of Costello Collection tobacco. It just is a wonderful way to start the day. Dan, thank you very much for coming back on. Thanks for everything, and uh, and get back to work with all your uh, with all your commissions and the and uh, the school semester. Well, thank you, Brian. Again, it was a privilege to be here, and uh, again, heartiest congratulations on the anniversary of the show and of all that you're doing to help make this pipe community more solid. Thank you very much, and we'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste, and whether you know it or not, You've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe. Just by smoking what you like, 
and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite, or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. This is Internet Radio. And we are back. And yeah, when Dan and I first met, it was over a uh, Peter Stokeby luxury twist flake that he really liked. And then the, the batch kind of changed. And then when I was, uh, you know, when I moved over to Sutliff, he, uh, Dan really, Dan has become a devotee of the uh, Sutliff 507 Virginia Slices. So I'm sure that, you know, we, we talked afterwards that, that was a big deal for him to go to the factory and actually see uh, it's not made there, but actually see the tobacco. And, you know, of course he stocks it up and I think he might be the biggest consumer of it. All right. For, uh, for music for this week, uh, we're just going to jump right into uh, Ray LaMontagne and just listen to the lyrics of this. Uh, Ray was one of my former customers and pipe smoker. And this one is called you are the best thing. Oh, 
kind of like that. A little upbeat, a little 70s, uh, early 80s kind of throwback. Anyway, Ray LaMontagne, uh, follow him on Spotify. Also, if you're interested in uh, Dan's music, it's Locklair, L-O-C-K-L-A-I-R.com. You can get the, uh, you you can buy CDs. How's that? All right, uh, no fancy mailbag stuff, but real quick, I just want to mention we got one rating on and re- one rating and review on iTunes that I haven't mentioned. It's from uh, it says great podcast for beginners and veterans alike. Five stars by Circle H Brothers, and he, they say I'm assuming it's two of them. Uh, if you smoke a pipe, are thinking about smoking a pipe or know someone who smokes a pipe, then you owe to yourself to listen to Brian and his weekly podcast. And five stars. Thank you very much. Uh, if you want to do uh, do a favor for the show and for me, go on to iTunes, rate and review the show. If you haven't done it for a while, go back on there, do it again. And if you've never done it, please do it once. Uh, also, the other thing that you can do that will help the show is listen to it all the way through to the end. Yeah, the the uh, the podcast places count how far you listen to the show and listen to it all the way to the end. Every episode, even if you don't pay attention, please just listen to it all the way to the end. All right, uh, this show's been long, so uh, Halloween rant coming up next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Remember back to the non-smoking and how delicate and pansy-ass some people are? Well, here we go again with Halloween. Uh, Here in the greater Charlotte area, there was a band of thunderstorms and a tornado warning, whatever the lowest thing of tornadoes is. Uh, That was happening during the day. And for the past two days, the hubbub on the neighborhood and in the area, on the Facebook pages and all those groups and stuff has been, we ought to cancel Halloween and push it off to Friday. And some people even came out as far as to say that uh, the city ought to come out and officially say that, you know what, Uh, uh, Halloween ought to be pushed off because there's thunderstorms in the area. Now, get this, they wanted the whole city to announce that Halloween was going to be celebrated the following day because potential for thunderstorms in the area. Now, today on Halloween, uh, you know, there was thunderstorms in the area. They cleared out by about 6.15, 6.30, and it was still raining, and it was drizzling a little bit. And we had about uh, about a third of the people that we normally would have had come by. But still, there was a lot of people that were complaining that, you know, it's rain in the area, don't want their kids going out and getting soaked. Well, get an umbrella and stop treating these kids like a bunch of pansy asses. You know, they need to learn how to not get wet when it rains. <laughs> All right? Common thing. Carry an umbrella. Don't get wet when it rains. Wear a raincoat. How about that? 
Or if you're out in the weather and you get a little damp, so what? You go home, you dry off. No, instead, oh, it has to be perfect conditions for my little kids to go out or for us to go out trick-or-treating and walking around and getting candy because otherwise, you know, it'll be dark and it'll be wet and it'll be windy. And, and no, your little pansy-ass kids, you know, when we were growing up, Halloween was on the 31st. That's when you celebrated it. That's when you went out trick-or-treating and none of us died from it, okay? Thank you very much. All right, there we go. I uh, got that off my chest. Uh, once again, please share and uh, rate and review the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, traveling anywhere, let me know. Brian.Levine at MEI-Travel.com. Comments, questions, suggestions, ideas for the show. Uh, Brian at PipesMagazine.com. Almost forgot that. So with all that, let's wrap this one up and say thank you very much to Jeff for joining me. Thank you to Dan for sitting down with me on the phone. And thank you all for tuning in. Until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to you. This show is a 100% soap opera drama-free zone. Well, maybe a little drama.